0: Welcome to episode one of Modern Farmers Market,
1: our very first one ever. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, so I'm Brandon. Actually, this is I'm Megan, and we own Modern Farmers Market. Uh, we're here with Nelson from Cartamere.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, this is uh, we're releasing this on the day that we release the new name. Everything else,
1: a lot of um, big stuff happening today. So yeah,
0: well, and a lot of big things happening this week. Uh, I know for people that listen to this later, uh, it may have passed. It may be totally gone. Not be a thing anymore. Um, but right now we're going through like coronavirus and everything, uh, COVID-19 as they call it. Um, so anyways, in spite of all of that, uh, we just want to get together and our heart in changing the name and everything is we want to push just connection with farmers more. And we feel like there's a lot of things that aren't, there's not a medium to talk about those things, uh, in like a way to easily consume it. So it was Megan's passion, really a modern farmer's market. And this is just one of the things that I get to help with. <laughs>
1: help with a lot. <laughs> yeah. But
0: um, so, Nelson, just kind of, I loved coming out to your farm the first time and just getting to talk with you. And it's within 30 seconds is clear the passion that you have for doing things right. And I'd say it's, would it be accurate to say quality over quantity?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. We, so, we, we certainly don't play a quantity game. So we're, we're focused on quality, transparency, relationship, those sorts of things.
0: So what got you into farming?
1: And why chickens?
2: Why chickens? So, uh, yeah, I'll start with farming. We, um, I, had a, I got my degree in journalism, so I was a reporter for a number of years, and then I kind of transitioned into marketing and eventually got into uh, technology. And so I worked for a, a large uh, global telecommunications company, and they sent us all over the world. Lived in Italy for a while and some other places. So, And when I came back, I just was getting a little kind of, um, I don't know, just disenfranchised with the corporate uh, the corporate world. And through a series of relationships, uh, we were introduced to some chefs who were looking for some local produce. I'd grown up on a farm, so we, we did all the sorts of things that we do now. We had, we had gardens, we had chickens, we had, um, um, you know, we had eggs, all of these things. We just didn't do any of it at a commercial level. So we, we decided to try our hand at it and we started off with a three quarter acre vegetable plot. Uh, we ended up getting bees and egg layers. Um, we've always raised sheep. So we, we had a, a lamb product that we could kind of, um, start to explore commercially and, um, we just kind of jumped in with both feet. That was six years ago. Uh, in the midst of that, we, we tried a program that wasn't successful, but we tried producing our own layers. Um, so we, were, uh, we, were, we had roosters on site, we would have fertile eggs, we would hatch those eggs, and 50% of those chicks were, were male. Didn't do us any good for a lane operation. <laughs> but we had a chef that was looking to do a, a special dish called a coquevon, which is a, a French dish. It's a stewed rooster. So we started, um, we said, well, we'll sell all the roosters to this this one particular restaurant. And I think, if I, if I remember well, they cost us about $20 to produce, and we were selling them for like $12. Oh, so uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't good business. <laughs> but that's what kind of led us into raising meat poultry as well. Um, I enjoyed doing it and I realized that if I was going to do it, I needed to do it well. So we started looking at different breeds of chicken and different practices and it's it's grown from there. Now we do around 200 birds a week.
0: Wow. That's super cool. That uh, seems like uh, technology and stuff that's a little bit off the path of farming.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Has any of that kind of gone into what you're doing now? Anything that you learned or kind of just during that time in like the technology space and other things?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So First of all, we, we come to this business with a different mindset. So we embrace technology. We, I mean, we, we embrace social media. We have an online store we've had pretty much from day one. So we use it, uh, we have sales channels that we use um, across various technologies. The way we interact with chefs, um, you know, the uh, also kind of our business mindset, you know, it, this isn't, um, if, we, if we're just gonna plant things and raise things, and not understand the business side, not understand our margins, things of that nature, we're not going to be successful. So a lot of the business training that I was giving in um, in my corporate life have, has been a, a great help and just simple tools. I mean, when I lived in the corporate world, you know, we, I spent half my time in Excel spreadsheets and, um, uh, you know, building access databases and things like that nature, which have been a, a benefit to us. That's awesome.
1: I think it's interesting, you know, from a consumer standpoint, you think, oh, having an online shop and being present on social media seems so obvious and mainstream now you're like that that's innovative, but it is really in your industry for a farm to have that kind of uh, technological presence. It is innovative
2: yeah, and also to take that technology and, and leverage it against the relationships that you know that that the technology uses. so you can have the best website in the world, but if you don't have customers coming to that and purchasing across it, then it's not going to be any benefit
0: yeah. And one thing I probably should mention is that we are currently on your farm. Uh, For all those listening that can't see where we're at, uh, they can also see on YouTube, uh, but we're looking over a kind of a misty field right now with, uh, I I think I see Ellie over there staring us down.
1: She's got a giant (laughs) two by four that she loves to play with.
0: (laughs) So if you hear noises in the background, we are in the middle of the farm right now and there are definitely lots going on right now. So kind of going from that social media and taking all that into account, I'd say one of the biggest things that's notable about you guys is just the relationship you have with customers and how open you guys are to the customers. Can you just kind of speak to how that came about and where that came from, the heart behind
2: it? Yeah, you bet. So uh, first of all, it's, it's our approach to people in general. I mean, we, we want to be honest about what we produce. We want to be transparent about what um, our practices Um, Not only our animal husbandry, but what we feed and, um, you know, just what goes into our products. We have a lot of customers that are very sensitive to what, um, to how we raise the things that we do. Um, Some of them are, some of them are just conscious about, um, you know, the inputs, whether or not they're genetically modified or whether or not the, you know, the inputs are organic some of them truly have medical sensitivities. We have families with, um, you know, may, maybe an, an autistic child or um, some other medical condition that it's it's very sensitive what they what they put in their body. So, um, so we want to be very transparent with that. So, I mean, if they want to know what's in the feed that feeds the layers that produces their eggs, we're happy to give them that information.
0: And then you guys also have them out all the, like you kind of run. Is it like open, like almost like open house kind of sometimes?
2: So we. Uh, People come to the farm to pick up product. Um, We also do tours. Uh, We do spring tours and uh, fall tours with families. So, um, and that's an opportunity for them to go around the farm, get their kids involved, see literally where their food comes from. You guys and also
1: have summer camps, don't
2: you? We do have summer camps for kids. So uh, so the kids can spend a week here at the farm, and we go through all sorts of things. I mean, they, the kids collect eggs. They play with baby chicks. They shear a lamb. <laughs> um, we've got baby goats now that they get to play with. They get to plant stuff and harvest stuff, so just to get a full farm experience. from? <laughs>
1: I know one of my favorite stories that you told with the kids' camp is when you were showing them the chicken feet, explaining how you use every part of the chicken. And someone was like, savage. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think the the word she used. But, yeah, she was shocked that we were – the storyline in my mind was very good that, hey, we don't waste anything. Even the foot of a chicken, we we find a use for it and uh, I showed him a frozen package of chicken feet and she was she said something like you're ruthless or something. I can't remember what it was but it, it was very funny.
1: Kids say the darndest things. Yes.
0: <laughs> so where would the heart for all of this come from or how would you get into doing all of that aside from just normal farming?
2: So um, well I I mean I knew before we even started this that I didn't want to be a commodity farm. Uh, growing up we we were we kind of I mean I grew up on a farm it, it was a smaller farm than this, but it was still big enough that we did cereal grains and hay and things of that nature and it was all it was all kind of commodity farming you know um but what I loved as a child growing up wasn't the wasn't the commodity aspect it was spending time in the vegetable garden with my grandmother or having a small chicken coop in the backyard these were the aspects that really um, that really drew me to agriculture um and, you know, I, I didn't want to be another, um, you know, another grower for Tyson or, you know, some, I didn't want to be a monocrop grower. I didn't want to grow five acres of okra or, or whatever it was going to be. I wanted to to have some more diversity in what we did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we, we wanted to, um, also another big point is the relationship with the customer. As soon as you start introducing middlemen, it t- it totally changes. So if we're just selling into wholesale markets, then we ha- we have no relationship with our customers.
0: Yeah. That's kind of makes me think, I, yeah, just thinking about kind of with Modern Farmers Market and just the relationship that we've had with you guys and trying to create that connection with a customer, like trying to be that person, uh, helping create that and everything and helping to bring that together more. Yeah. Especially for those that aren't close enough to come yeah. pick up from you every week.
2: And I feel we can still we can still have that relationship. I mean, if, if a customer has a question about one of our products, you know, they're only one step away from, from us. I mean, oh, they, yeah. they can talk to Megan, Megan texts us or emails us and says, Hey, what's going on, you know, with this, can you explain that? And so I, I think that connectivity with the customer is still there. Um, we, we don't view, um, uh, we don't view, uh, you know, f- modern, um, farmer's market as, uh, as a commodity or I should say as a, as a wholesale um, distributor. Um, it's, it's far from that. It's, it's, you know, if, if we were selling to, um, uh, to some sort of wholesaler that, um, that moved our product in a nameless fashion, you know, just, Hey, we've got some generic chicken that comes from a farm and here it is per pound. Um, to me, that's a wholesaler, but someone that goes out of their way to represent us and represent our brand and what we do. That's, that's far from being a, a wholesale, um, you know, distributor. Yeah.
0: It's funny. Cause. You were the first one that I met when, because when Megan had started Modern Farmer's Market and was working with all of this, or when we came in and started helping and everything, it, you were the first person I had met really through that whole relationship and just talking to you. it was, I loved getting the chance to just kind of See, I, I grew up on farms as I, like when I was really young, and I helped. It was mostly hailing, uh, baling hay. That was mm-hmm. mostly all it was. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't like animals. And I think we had like one or two steers that I helped with, and that was about it. But uh it was just kind of cool getting to kind of reconnect to that and get out here and be with the chickens. And I know Megan hugs the goats every time she's out
2: here. Uh-huh.
0: Has her little cry.
2: <laughs> you know, there, I think there's something natural about it, and there's something kind of fundamental in the human spirit. I mean, even when we have, you know, families from the city come in for camps, and those kids and the way they interact with animals and nature, it's, you know, it's very natural. It's very, um, it's it's a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, It
1: it's refreshing when, <clears throat> you know, you have so much of the controversy around, you know, especially chickens, like chicken farms and how they're, you know, they're cooped up and their beaks are clipped, all this different stuff. There's so much controversy. And I feel like most of the population knows about that right now. And it's refreshing to come out and see a green field that the chickens are just hanging out on. And, you know, we walked out with you and you would just stumble across an egg that they laid in the grass. And you're like little suckers like they're not supposed to right. lay eggs in the grass those are the disobedient
2: <laughs> like, ones <laughs> Yeah,
1: you know it's just it's refreshing to come out and know that you know that isn't the norm the chicken farms is, is moving you know isn't going to be the norm that what you have is is becoming the new normal and it's just refreshing to come out and see that and see your passion and see your care for the animals and what you do
2: yeah it's I, I think human nature is to you know there's this this constant effort to innovate and to make things more efficient. And those are good things. But there comes a point where innovation and efficiency, um, the, the quality of life for animals and the quality of products starts to suffer under certain innovations and efficiencies. We're always trying to innovate what we do at the farm. Um, but there's, there's times where um, you know where I'll have an idea and I'll think, man, if we just did this, it would save us a couple of man hours a, you know, a day. And I, I step back and I think, yeah, but is, is it really the benefit to the animal? So we have to always keep that in mind.
0: Yeah. I, me and Megan, as we were kind of talking about switching the name to modern farmers market, we were talking about, <laughs> I started, I don't know where I started comparing this to, but I started comparing it to like hot couture, uh, which is like high fashion and stuff. You I had, had to
1: ask what that was first. Yeah, I didn't really know what it was. <laughs>
0: yeah. we, we don't wear much of that. <laughs> yeah. But it was essentially like the idea to me, the parallels of like farming and the way that you do it is the parallel would be, <laughs> well, okay. My headphones just got <laughs>
2: yanked out. Oh well, that's uh, our herding dog just <laughs> jumped on him and stole his headphones. Okay, we're good. You didn't again.
1: know you needed a herding dog for chickens, <laughs> did you? <laughs> um,
0: but anyways, so I uh, started comparing it to that, and the parallels that I saw personally were uh, they're very much about creating something and creating it to the best possible standard. Mm-hmm they're not worried about making it over and over and over and over and over and, over and trying to mass produce it like mm-hmm. for like a target or something like that. And to me, it's like very much, we're going back to that in farming almost, where it's like, how can we create the best thing for everyone involved and
2: not sacrifice quality while we're doing it?
1: And at the same yeah. time, making something special and memorable and, and out of the norm and yeah. experiential.
2: Yeah, we, we've also learned to kind of celebrate, um, imperfections and differences and it's uh you know for the last 60 years in in agriculture we've tried to standardize everything and um you know there's there's a lot of great products that just don't fit in a in a perfect um you know size or shape every time and but it's also unique and wonderful so yeah we we have a couple of high level philosophies first of all we believe that with few exceptions animals don't belong indoors Um, They were, they were made to be outdoors. They were, um, they, uh, they function best and they're the healthiest outdoors. Uh, so we, uh, I mean my, my perfect model farm, you know, you wouldn't need any buildings at all. Um, now there are cases with inclement weather and cold and, um, infancy and things of that nature that we do. Um, we do put animals indoors, but we're doing so with a mindset of getting them out as fast as possible. Um, So, uh, beyond that, we try to look at, look for relationships between animals and between, um, uh, maybe animals and crops. So, you know, for instance, I mean, a a clear one is we, uh, we have chicken brooders. So when the chicks come in, we put them in a, in a small, in a small house that we can keep them warm, uh, for a few weeks. And then as quickly as they're feathered, we, we move them out to the pasture. Um, that's meat birds or layers, uh, the, the soil and the shavings that we take from the floor of that brooder, we compost those and those go back to the garden. Um, as we raise vegetables and we clean vegetables and whether we're topping some sort of root crop or we just have we're just cleaning off vegetables, we end up with greens that go back to the chicken. So we complete the cycle. So we're always trying to look for those relationships and those marriages between different animals. The the chickens, as we move those across the pasture, they're giving us nitrogen and phosphorus that's producing better forage that better forage creates healthier lambs. The lambs take the, the grass down to a level that chickens, um, let's say flourish, chickens don't like really high grass. So if we can give the top eight inches of grass to the lambs um, and leave the, the bottom three or four for the chickens. So again, it's just these uh, these complementary relationships and we're always trying to discover new ones. I think to be honest, it was knowledge that we had as a country and as a, as a species, um, hundreds of years ago and through, you know, through a lot of, um, you know, just kind of focusing on efficiencies and modernizations and things of this nature, we've lost a lot of that knowledge that we're rediscovering.
0: So it's really interesting kind of going off of that, where, where do you see the state of farming in general today outside of the current, like this past week?
2: <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, this was an interesting week. I think there will be a continued trend towards um, sustainable farming, towards um, local purchasing of farm products. I don't think it's a fad. I don't think, um, you know, we, we see things come and go. I think this is here to stay. The, the form that it's in, I think, may evolve. I mean, just what what y'all are doing, um, and we, we, we can talk about, you know, Carter relationship with modern farmers market and and how that changed one of our fundamental models and how we deal with with customers. Uh, We can talk about that in a minute. But um, I I think those models will change. One of the things we've discovered with agriculture is um, that there's a reason why big ag is big ag. I mean, you know, if if you're producing millions of chickens a year, um, irregardless of your husbandry and and thoughts for the, the animal themselves, you create massive economies of scale and efficiencies. Um, it makes it very difficult for small farms to compete on those levels. So, uh, the degree that small farms can work together to try to try to foster efficiencies amongst them, or just information that allows a farm just to move kind of from a hobby level to uh, you know to a viable farm level. That doesn't mean becoming a Tyson, but just getting big enough to uh, to be financially viable. Um, th- these are important things, and sometimes it's just a knowledge share. Um, you know, one farm saying, "Hey, we did A, B, and C, and that got us to where we needed to be to be actually be viable." So, um, yeah, it's here to stay. I think it's going to have to evolve a little bit more, and and some a um, little bit more knowledge be shared. Yeah,
1: I know one controversial topic that's kind of out there is is can organic and sustainable farming really feed? the world basically what are your thoughts on that and what would you say to people who would take that stance
2: yeah I, uh, I have a very strong opinion um, it's it, my, my opinion is that um, commodity farming modern farming techniques can't feed the world uh, we we are depleting the resources very fast uh, there, there's a story that I, I love to tell and it, it happened in this area and um, it was a, a neighbor of ours. He was walking through a, a pasture with um, an old man. And um, they, uh, he was showing this gentleman um, a field that, that that man had plowed and, and raised um, cereal grain crops when he was young. So, so this man was walking through a pasture that, w- that he had been on his entire lifetime. And they came across a well. And, um, the old man said, I, I remember digging that well. And, um, when we dug that well, we had to go through 12 feet of topsoil before we hit rock and they were standing there at the rock. Yeah. So in one lifetime, they lost 12 feet of topsoil. Um, and it just can't sustain itself, let alone just the, the, the chemicals and the other things that we're putting in the soil. I mean, any, you know, any microbiologist will tell you that we're, we're literally destroying the soil with our modern practices. So, uh, there's also been a lot of um, research done, and over over the long haul, organic outpaces conventional farming every time. Um, the reason it's difficult is to make that transition, there's an initial loss on organic uh, yields. So if you're trying to go from a conventional farming practice to an organic farming practice, your, your yields and your income are going to be lower for two or three years. But in the long haul, you're going to make more money. You're going to spend less money on chemical inputs, less money on— um, on fuels and things of that nature, and your yields are going to be better and uh, more profitable.
0: Mm. So short-term over long-term is really what you're
2: looking yeah, at. Yeah, and, and again, I wouldn't fault the, the guys that struggle with this. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if you tell, a, a you know, an, an average farming family that's just barely making ends meet, hey, in order to do it right, you need to make less money for three years. That's a tough pill to swallow, right? So, um, but we're going to have to figure out a way to do it. I think, I think the you know as, as much as I hate to lean on the government, the way that our incentives are created in agriculture are, are dead wrong. If we could incentivize doing those things right, um, I think we could get help people get past that bubble and produce products that are better.
0: Is there anything that we as consumers can do?
2: Yeah, the the biggest thing is supporting um, the, the the people that are doing it right, and, and demanding you know those sort of products. Um, they, you know, it's tough and dealing with a local farm isn't as convenient as going to Walmart and having everything in the world in one place. Um, most local farms are a bit more expensive than buying commodity products, even though I, I believe you get more for your, for your dollar in the long run. Not to mention what's going on in your body. Yeah. So, you know, there's the old argument that you can spend the money now on the food or you can spend <laughs> the money later on a doctor. Yeah. Um, I, I think also, um, I think if the consumers demanded um, more honesty in terms of labeling and things of that nature, you know, the, the, these big lobbyists get a hold of a lot of our information around agricultural products and they manipulate them. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I don't think it's far-fetched to say it's illegal for me to use the word organic, yeah. you know, and, unless I go through, jump through a lot of hoops that the government has set in place. Um, meanwhile, people who, uh, who are much less organic and sustainable than we are get to use that word because they have the money to do it.
0: I think there was, uh, uh, do you remember Super Size Me? Oh yeah. yeah. Just
1: going to bring this up. And
0: then, so he just came out with another documentary. I don't know if you saw that. I don't Uh, have have much time for television. (laughs) (laughs) He's
1: busy Uh, running a farm.
0: (laughs) Well, basically he was like, what would it take to run a restaurant now, a fast food restaurant? Um, and what decisions am I going to have to make if I'm running a fast food restaurant, like, uh, like a Kanes or McDonald's or something like that. And he built his own restaurant and he was just authentically truthful, the entire thing. And like, basically he was showing the hoops he had to jump through to make, basically he ended up starting a chicken farm. Then he did everything else along with it. Then he's like, literally for them to be free range, had to be two feet by two feet outside of there. They didn't even have to go out there if they don't want to. It was just two little, like little patch That was just barely outside the main barn. And that was all he had to do to make them free range. And it was just like, he was like, all of this is accurate. I got all the like designations, all of that. But he was just showing how almost meaningless those things really were. Yeah,
2: Um, Yeah, because they've all been manipulated
0: in some way. Exactly.
1: By Big Ag. (laughs) It's just
0: unfortunate.
2: Very um, unfortunate. You know, one of the terms that that Big Ag is still trying to get their hands around is pastured. You know, Mm -hmm. we, we talk about pastured poultry, pastured eggs. This one's tough because, you know, the word in itself, um, has some, um, some inherent meaning, but you know, g- give them time. They'll find a way to, to manipulate that as well.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny cause he found out he was, he hired a marketing firm to help him and it was like, he could use all natural, clean, all of these things because they have no meaning. Right. Like they mean nothing to anything and it's just words you can blatantly use and that like. Uh, I don't even, who's the governing agency for all.
1: USDA. Yeah. So USDA.
0: they won't ping you if you say words like that because it doesn't actually mean anything.
2: Yeah, really. all, all natural has more to do with how things are processed <laughs> and how they're produced. Oh yeah. So. Oh yeah. It
0: was a, uh, yeah. Cause he said no like no hormone, no
2: added was.
0: It was right. illegal
1: to do anyway. So you, everyone can say it. Well it was that. only the
0: way you processed it though. Yeah. Like it wasn't technically the way that it was raised. Right. Which was weird. Like, it was just super odd, the things that I saw that he had to go through to, like, get the designations. Mm-hmm. And no one even came out and checked his farm to get the designations. They were just like, did you do it? He's like, yeah. And they gave him the designation. <laughs> and, like... I'll have to watch it. Yeah, it was pretty... It was interesting, for sure. And it definitely made me be like, man, like, how much harder is it now for you, though, to compete with all that stuff? Because it's like, you'd have you would have to pay the thousands of thousands of dollars to be licensed and all that in each of these areas. But really, how much does it mean long term?
2: Yeah. So we always tell our customers, uh, in lieu of some government uh, approval, just come out. Come out to our farm. We will show you exactly. We'll show you where the chickens are and what we do and tell you about our practices. And we're we're an open book. I think as
1: a consumer, it's so incredibly important for us to realize how little those terms mean. I still have customers asking me, is is your stuff certified USDA organic? It's like, well, some of it is, but like really that's not what you should be asking. You need to be asking, you know, what are these chickens eating? What are they being fed? How much room do they have to run? Like these are the questions that consumers need to be asking, not these meaningless terms that we've been groomed to think are important.
0: Yeah. yeah. I just want to like tell them, go out to the farm, of a USDA <laughs> one. Now go out to a farm that cares about what they are doing. Uh, quality-wise, right. and look at the
2: difference. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you, that Megan, you've been out to all the farms, that, that should be much, uh, a much better qualifier than what's on some label. We, we tell people one easy one is eggs. And legally, every carton of eggs has to have um, an address on it, a physical address, presumably where those eggs were produced. So I just tell customers, go go to Google Earth, put in mm-hmm. the address that's on your, on your egg carton and see if there's any chickens in the picture. If it's just a bunch of warehouses, then you know where your eggs are produced. Interesting.
0: So that's right. everything. Yeah. That's all all eggs everywhere, like from Whole and Foods, it, all that. In America,
2: yeah, they it find any carton; it has to, even ours, has to have an address. So
0: interesting. Wow,
1: that's a challenge to all our customers. Find out if you're not getting eggs from Cardamere. why?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: where or, are you getting or, them from? <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, so we're not the only pastured, you know, egg producer in Texas, but certainly go go look at the address, yeah. put it in a Google Earth, take a look.
0: On, I would say also like, uh, it seems like farms aren't really in competition with each other. It seems like all of you guys are like, like you've recommended us to so many people that you know, and it seems like everyone's kind of, uh, it, it's a team effort really to bring yeah. this.
2: And this goes right along with me saying that, um, earlier that, you know, this idea of, us having to work together to, to compete with, you know, with the, the commodity producers. Uh, I went to a conference a number of years ago, a sustainable ag conference, and they they gave a quote that I loved. And it was something along the lines of most industries have trade secrets. We just trade secrets. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, everyone's pretty much willing to help everyone. Um, the, there's been one or two, you know, people in, in kind of our sustainable ag industry that, that have been kind of, um, standoffish or, you know, you know, very guarded in their approach to, you know, to farming. And to be honest, they, they, they don't stick around too long.
0: Interesting. Uh, something you said earlier that stuck out, you had mentioned, I I didn't even really know this, but I kind of just want to explore it. You said that us working with you guys has changed the relationship that you have, like the way that you kind of do things. I was just kind of curious to dig in that
2: a little bit. Yeah. So, so one of the things we had to come to terms with, I mean, when I first started this, you know, I had this unrealistic vision of being everything. So um, I'll give you will give you two or three examples. We uh, when we first started the farm, we created a seedling room. So it was a fifty foot by twelve foot, fully automated, fully heated seedling room. We could start fifteen thousand seedlings in it. and um, and that's how we did all our seed starts. So we started on December first preparing for the spring. And I got to looking at it. and the seedlings, first of all, they're all in, indoors. um they're grown under lights. A lot of them came out very leggy, rather weak. And, um, you know, even once we got them transplanted, they just didn't catch up with, with you know, seedlings or even seeded things that we, we would plant. Meanwhile, I was introduced to a, a, an Amish family in, in Oklahoma that produced beautiful seedlings for, for pennies compared to what I was spending for the labor. And, you know, I started to recognize, hey, there's, there's other things that people do much better than I do that can complement what we do. So we turned our seedling room into a cool room for eggs, into a tool room, and we've, um, you know, we we recognize someone can do it better. The same thing with hatching chicks. Uh, you know, at the level that we do, I wouldn't want to be a chick hatchery today. There's people that are just much better at it than we are. And one of those things is, you know, our retail sales. We used to we used to have a distribution model where we would we would sell uh, our products online on a on an online grocery store. And then we would distribute those around uh, mainly North Dallas area. And we would put big coolers in front of people's, um, we would have what we called a host home. And, you know, in the middle of September, it'd be hard to keep it cold. And, you know, it was, it's just something that I came to the conclusion we weren't great at. Um, And then, you know, Megan started with... um, I think the first time we were really we were introduced to you before you started getting some of the the equipment that you have today. But all of a sudden she rolled in with this beautiful refrigerated truck and everything was done well and professionally. And we talked about it here and we we said, man, they they can do a better job at this than we can. So in essence, we handed off almost all of our retail business. Um uh, to modern farmer's market. So we still want our customers to be able to come to the farm and pick up from the farm, which we do, but literally every other retail sale pretty much goes to y'all. And, and it's been a, it's been a great compliment, um, to what we do. And it's one of those things that y'all do it better than we do. So,
0: <laughs> and has that helped you guys in any way? Like do what you do better?
2: Yeah, it does. So not only, um, not only do we get to deliver our stuff, uh, to people in a more professional way. Um we it the time that we were spending, which is you know probably a full day a week, um we can now focus on actually producing products um which is what we love to do so yeah it's it's given us time and opportunity to do that, and it's increased our professionalism through y'all. That's super cool,
1: I think honestly that's why that's one of the reasons that you guys are such a great. Um, partner with Modern Farmers Market is because you have that understanding that you know you don't have to do everything, but what you do do, you need to do well. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, we're not trying to. We don't have our own farm where we're trying to raise cows and chickens and produce and all this different stuff. We're finding the people like you guys who are doing it right, um, and then we're just you know stepping in, doing what we do best, so you guys can do what you do best.
0: So, kind of going off of all of that, bringing it briefly to current events coronavirus, all of these things that are happening right now, how, how has that affected farmers?
2: So it's, um, you know, it's one of those things that the effects are broader than we might think. I mean, so the simple effects are sales go down, right? That's what people assume. It, the way we've modeled our business, we started off wanting to be a chef's farm. So the idea is that we were going to be a chef's farm and that we were going to sell everything the chefs didn't buy retail. Um, And in large part, we've kept that model. So probably 90% of everything that we sell goes to kind of high-end seasonal restaurants in Dallas and Fort Worth. And within about a two-day period, our sales dropped, uh, I'm going to say, 95%. We have one restaurant that's um, in a position to... That hurts. um, Yeah. One restaurant that's doing home delivery. So they were able to switch the model really quick. Um, But pretty much... A hundred percent of our customers, other than that one, just called us up and very apologetically said, "We, you know, we we can't buy anything." So, the problem for a farm is then you start um, under in a situation like this is what that means is cash flow stops. Um, in a in a protein-based farm, and it, it's true to all farms to a certain extent, but a farm that sells proteins like ours, the the layers stuff to be fed, whether someone's buying the eggs or not, um. Our, our meat bird operation, even if we turn off all chick orders, it's about eight weeks to move those birds through the system. So we still have to feed. Uh, we, we normally have around 3,000 birds on site. So we got to feed those birds for eight weeks. Uh, and, you well, just, and
0: if you stop, it's then in eight weeks, you're going to have a shortage if things pick back up, right? N- no,
2: it's it's just about animal husbandry and and, mm-hmm. and making sure that those animals are properly cared for during those eight weeks. They still have to eat. They still have to be moved. They still have to be cared for. So uh, so and we still have to pay for the labor to do that. Yeah. We still have to pay for the feed to do that. Meanwhile, the cash that we would have normally been getting from our customers purchasing from us is just being stockpiled in freezers in the form of chicken. Yeah. Um. So uh, so this is the problem when you know uh, you add to that. You know, we, we call our feed company and we're like, okay, so what's the current feed situation? And they're like, hey, everyone's scared. Um, we're getting feed calls from all over the nation. If you want feed, you need to put in your order, um, you know, immediately. And you better get, you know, a couple of months worth of feed because we don't know what's going to happen with interstate travel and all of these things.
1: Which just adds more to your cash flow problem. Right.
2: So no one's buying. Well, and that meanwhile, <laughs> we got to turn around and, you know, buy 40,000 pounds worth of feed. So... Yeah, so it's all these kind of dynamics that you're trying to figure out. Um, And I I, I would be lying to you if I told you I had it all figured out.
0: (laughs) I was going to ask you what we can do as consumers to help, especially in this time. But I feel like just... And the thing I think a lot of people also don't realize is you're local. Like when they buy from farmers like you, it's buying local and it's going right back into our community. Whereas if you buy from a mass grocery store, a mass place like that, it's not going back into our community uh, as much as they do stuff to like the corporate places try to bring back stuff into our community, which I, I honor. I think that's great. But at the same time, like it's directly benefiting our community,
1: which is hurting so much right now.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, restaurants shut down, uh, gyms, malls, movies, every pretty much most of the economy right now. And it's like food is something that everyone needs. And if Mm -hmm. we have the chance, why should we, to me, I don't know why you would go anywhere else and you should turn and support your community and keep each other strong. So it's like, I will not even ask you that question.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also an employment thing for us. You know, we, um, the restaurants almost by decree have had to close and, and send people home. Um, you know, if, if we, if we're kind of careful how we navigate this and we, and we were, you know, we're dialoguing well with the consumer base out there, you know, we can avoid that. Um, we still need people, like I said, to take care of the animals, to prepare orders, to package things, and to get those to the consumers.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Is there anything else that you want to talk about or
2: um, you know, it's I, I always want to kind of end you know one of these discussions just with a, a comment of thanks. you know, um, you know we're thankful for folks like y'all that help um, that partner with us and and help us um, broaden our customer base. Uh, we're also really thankful to the customers. I mean, we, we have some people that are just super loyal, um, that, that really go out of their way that, you know, incur some inconveniences and, and maybe, you know, in some cases a little bit higher price to have a relationship and buy from us. And we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. So we're always thankful to our, to our customers and the consumers and people that are patient with us. Um, we, we've had some growing pains over the years, you know, as we were learning to raise things and process things and, package things um you know we wouldn't get it right every time and people were just patient and and we would always make it right and so i'm I'm just thankful to the consumers
0: thank you so much for coming on it was great having you and i don't think there could have been a better first guest
2: well thank y'all i appreciate that (laughs)